Hi, and welcome to Over 50 and Effin' Funny with comedians Jan McGinnis and Frank King. Uh, Dobie Maxwell, everybody, Dobie Maxwell. Thanks a lot. Thanks, Greg. Thank you. I cannot tell you how delighted I am to be here with you today. This is the best part of my entire day. The few minutes I get to stand here telling you what went wrong. Uh, welcome to my nightmare. <laughs> welcome to my nightmare. I think you're going to like it. If, so if no one, someone else, somehow, somewhere, somebody is doing worse than you, that makes your day. I can make your month. <laughs> I can make your spring. I have the worst luck of anybody walking the face of the earth. Look at me as your one-man self-esteem stimulus package. It's the thing. Luck is everything. Every day in my life is Friday the 13th mixed together with the Ides of March, and there's always a full moon, and there is no escape. Nobody has luck like me. Let me give you an example. I'm the only person I know that has run out of gas in a car wash. Twice in the same week. That's embarrassing, it's humiliating, standing next to my car, drenched to the bone, yelling at the top of my lungs, come around. We're here with Dobie Maxwell. Welcome yeah. to uh, Over 50 and Effin' Funny, and Dobie is one of the most effing funny guys out there. Well, thank you guys for having me. I do appreciate it. Of course, I am over 50 when it comes to computer technology. I've got a daisy <laughs> wheel printer. and a, uh, got a hammer uh, and daisy wheel. Windows 48. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. Well, Dobie's been. You've been in. How long have you been in comedy, Dobie? Long. You know what? Long? Since since 1985. Wow. Okay. So I had, okay. Try, I had to try it with the Kansas City Royals as a pitcher. I'm a left-handed pitcher, and I just barely came close. I got a second look, but I didn't make it. I think. What am I going to do now? So I went to a comedy open mic, and I thought these guys are horrible. I can do that. And at the end of the show, they said, if anybody wants to get up and try, you can try. And I was worse than all of them, thinking, oh, this is a lot harder than it looks. I just I knew that first time on stage that I wanted to do it. Just like Arnold Schwarzenegger said, first time he picked up a barbell, that's what he wanted to do. That's what I wanted to do. Yeah, same for me. I got I went twice, Dobie. I tell people who want to be comics, do this. Look, go to mm -hmm. Mike Knight twice, see how bad everybody sucks. Yep. It'll give you the courage to get up. So I got up on the third try, third time. Halfway through, I heard inside my head, man, you're home. <laughs> and, and I decided I was gonna do it for a living. Uh, I was like uh, April Fool's Day eighty-four. Okay. Day after Christmas, 85, went on the road full-time. Wow. Uh, asked my girlfriend, now my wife of 33 years, if she wanted to come along, just come along. Figured sure. she'd go, oh, hell no. <laughs> went, yeah. So we were on the road for 2,629 nights. Whoa. Yeah. Now, where did you start, Frank? Uh, Jan, you started the East Coast, right? You, Jan, DC, you, yeah. DC? I started yeah. DC. Yeah, I started the comedy store in La Jolla first. Wow. Okay. We in San Diego. And then the improv opened up, and I waited 30 days. I let all the other open micers go to the improv. And then I showed up in my blazer, tie, khakis, Weegans, no socks. And after I came off stage, the owner of the club walks up and goes, you want to be house MC? <laughs> yes, it worked. And then my first 10 weeks were on the East Coast. Sandy DePerna had a 10-week run, sure, including Charlie Goodnights. It actually became a nine-week run immediately because Blacksburg dropped off. Oh, Blacksburg, uh, that was such a good gig. And then the first week I worked was at the Patrick Henry Hotel in the bar in the basement called Down the Hatch, worse sight lines than Dealey Plaza. And, <laughs> and I met Bill King, who oh, ran yeah? the, the comedy club in D.C., the yep. 23rd Precinct or something. 
there was yes. a bunch of them back then. Yeah. Yeah. And Bill I got my, I got state. my 10th week from Bill. So, and it, uh, you know, it, uh, now Adobe, listen, before you go any farther, there's a, there's an urban legend about you. Oh boy. Here it comes. <laughs> I know what it is. Go ahead. Okay. There was a booker who was in the, the Crisco story. Yeah. It's like Ozzy Osbourne biting the head off the bat. Whether he did it or not doesn't make any difference because his name is surgically attached to it. This is what I can't escape. I could cure cancer. I could have my 10th uh, special on Comedy Central. Are you the guy that sent it? Yes. Okay, let's go. Now, what did you hear? And I'll straighten it out for you. I heard that there was a booker. He was uh, grossly overweight. He had a heart attack or something, and he ended up in the hospital. And all the local comics dropped by, sucked up, brought him flowers. He was a mean the- booker. He's mean. He's not nice. Right? Yeah, mean, bad yeah. man. Yeah, but did, make Shrek didn't... look like Mister Rogers. Yeah. yeah, you know everybody, every comic in town. You know, uh, brown nose party of one. Come on in. <laughs> Tell me how great I am. Mm-hmm. I hope I get, hope hope you get well. And I heard Doby that you bought a pizza. Had it delivered, and then when the guy opened the pizza box, there was a note inside that said, I hope you die, you fat. Wow, it is amazing how off this story gets. <laughs> oh, yeah? Uh, it's completely untrue. Uh, actually, uh, I sang Kumbaya with a choir of homeless people. Now, what happened was... Now, Not buying that. <laughs> can, can, if we could start from the beginning, I had a near-fatal car accident in 1993. I flipped the convertible over, and I grew up in, in Wisconsin. So how stupid am I? Uh, I bought a convertible. Yeah, yeah, I sure hope summer's on a weekend this year. That'll be great. <laughs> so I can take it around one time. And, you know, right. so it was a week after my 30th birthday, and I am known as Mr. Lucky. Things happen to me yep. that don't happen to everybody yep. else. Other people, I, yeah. I, I don't know why. So what happened was uh, a drunk driver was driving the other way up the other side of the road that I was coming home at 3 o'clock in the morning from a comedy show. Of course. He, he nodded off at the wheel and he went up on the curb and he hit an electric light pole. Oh, he no. He didn't knock it out of the socket. He knocked it just, it just, just grazed it. So it's at an angle. And there were live electric wires oh. across six lanes of traffic about a foot and a half off the ground. <gasps> now, of the cosmic universe, all the timing in the world, who was coming the opposite way 30 seconds after that happened? Oh. Mr. Lucky's showing up. And, and I had my convertible, <laughs> uh, the top was up. But I looked at it and I, I had my seatbelt off because uh, there was a, I was trying to reach for something in the backseat. I was driving through a bad neighborhood and I was trying to reach for something in the backseat of my car. I had my seatbelt off and the light turned green and somebody beeped a horn. And in that neighborhood at three o'clock in the morning, when someone beeps a horn, you go. I didn't put my seatbelt <laughs> back on. So I had my seatbelt off and I looked what looked like a wire or a finish line or something. I'm like, what the, what the hell is that? Well, I had no idea. So what did I do? I ducked like an idiot, like if a meteorite's falling out of the sky, you put your hands up like that's going to help. <laughs> so the wire went underneath the front tire and bumper of my Mustang convertible, flips okay. the car upside down like any ride in Disney you've ever seen. I Ooh. slid on the top of the car for a block and a half and I hit a mailbox and I bounced off the uh, my sternum. I broke my sternum twice. The hardest bone <laughs> in the body to break. I cracked it like a crab leg. I bounced off the steering wheel and the gear <sighs> shift and I'm upside down. You ever had that dream when you're you're trying to scream and nothing comes out? That's exactly what happened. Now, if you're upside down, if you're ever going to, you don't know you're upside down. So what did I do? I tried to gun the car because I'm thinking off. So people woke up for blocks around. It's a pretty kind of a residential neighborhood. And I hear people yelling, he's dead. He's dead. I thought, wow, if I am dead, I won't have any more bookings to go to. What am I, I'm just thinking these weird things. I thought, well, if I am dead, I won't have to pay my credit card off. So so they came. the, the ambulance was coming to take the other guy 
uh, away, the, the drunk driver. But I was hurt worse. So they cut, put the car up on its top. The top was up. They cut it with the jaws of life. And I came flying like a cocoon. I'm laying there <laughs> and I'm bleeding. And there, there's a, there's cops in front of me and firemen and people out of the neighborhood. Was, and, a, and a TV news camera is right in my face. There was this local station about a mile away. So they're right down there. And they said, say something. You've been hurt really bad. Are you, let us know you're okay. Now you guys are comics. What would you say in that situation? You got the. You're laying there looking up. What would you say? Thank you very much. That's my time. Yeah. <laughs> I see the lights. I gotta go. Yeah. <laughs> no, I said I've fallen and I can't, I can't get, up. get up. And it got a huge. It got a huge pop. A big laugh. And then I got. What are you a comedian or something? I said, Yeah. As a matter of fact, there. So the reason I'm telling you all this is it leads up to the story. So <laughs> they took me to in- uh, intensive care, and of course, I'm on the comedian 100% deductible insurance plan. Right. I- I can't sue anybody because this guy's drunk. He's driving after revocation six times. He's I'm screwed. It's the worst part of town. So I had to learn how to walk all over again. I had to do uh, therapeutic. I couldn't work in comedy for six months. I was eating food out of a shelter. It was as bad as bad gets. So this guy, the booker, said booker at the comedy club in Milwaukee, happened to be a, a big fat biker. He rode at the Outlaws Motorcycle Gang. Well, if you know my my history, and most of your listeners don't, my father was a biker who rode with the Outlaws Motorcycle Gang, oh. and it was a horrible situation. And he was a bully, like most of the bikers are. And he said, "We're going to have a benefit for you." I'm in intensive care, and the booker lady that booked the club said, "They're going to have a benefit for you at the comedy club." I said, "Look, I don't want that bastard to have a benefit for me." He wants wants me to die up here. We've never gotten along. He's a bully like my father. Oh, no, I'll make sure it goes well. So there's nothing I can do about it. I'm upside down like a turtle. So the next day she comes back and there is an envelope, a sealed envelope. And she, and I opened it up in my ho- my hospital room and there was $23 and some jingly change in it. And I looked at her and I said, why is there $23 in change in this envelope? And she said, oh no, the place was packed. There should be a couple thousand dollars in there. So I called this booker from my hospital room and I said, why did you send me $23 in change? Oh, well, I had expenses in the 10 dollar donation that covered my expenses and after the show there were so many comics there to support you that we uh we passed around the hat and i didn't count it or anything but i just put it all in an envelope and sent it to you i said you fat bastard they weren't there to support me comics are stage whores you could have a hitler youth rally headlined by satan and if comics got microphone time in front of a large crowd they would show up well, you're pretty ungrateful for someone who had a benefit for them. I said, you know what? I might die up here. And if I do, I will haunt your family throughout eternity. And if I live, I will get my revenge from you. Somehow, some way, I will extract it. Yeah, F you, F you, hang up the phone. And the booker lady's like, I can't believe you You did that. Well, I can't believe he did that. So this all was percolating and brewing. Okay, so now about a year later, I happen to be working at the Zanies Comedy Club in Nashville, Tennessee. Mm-hmm. And this is before cell phones even. And I got a call from somebody and they said, hey, did you hear about the booker? No, he had a heart attack. Oh, is he dead? No, but coincidentally, he is in intensive care in the same hospital you were at when you were in the hospital. I said, oh, and I walked around. I said, you know what? I should thank the higher power for letting me live. And I got some extra bonus time and I should let it go by. And I thought all the Tony Robbins and Hallmark card things I could think for about an hour and a half. And then I just snapped like a twig. I went right to the Kroger and I bought a tub of Crisco and a pound of bacon and some Miracle Whip and some sausage gravy and a big Hallmark card. It said, you fat bastard, you spent my money on rib dinners for your biker maggots. I hope you enjoyed it. I will see you in hell. 
And I said it. And usually, you know, Robert Schuler and all those people tell you, you know, write those letters, but don't ever mail them. Well, you know what? I had a stamp, but I had access to a post office and I mailed it. And, and But I mailed it to the booker lady instead of him. Okay, I didn't, so she opened it up. And of course, I guess the bacon had rotted and she told. So now at the time, uh, long distance phone call rates as comics, we know that was our second biggest expense to mm-hmm. our living expenses. It was really huge. Well, she did my, my PR work for me and called everyone. Did you hear what Toby Maxwell did? He said, Crisco. So one thing led to another. So there's telephone, telegraph, telebooker. That she saved me a thousand dollars worth of uh, long distance bills, and everybody heard about that. People that didn't bookers, I would never be able to get on the phone. Who's Dobie Maxwell? Sent the guy Crisco, but they don't see what he did to me. They only see the revenge. Now I worked yeah. Zanies comedy clubs have been really good to me. And the, the following week, I was working at a Zanies, and the booker there uh, is a guy that just retired. And I, he was on the phone when I, I came in to do the show, and I could see him on the phone. And he, he gave me the finger, you know, come into my office. And uh, he said, uh, Mr. Maxwell, I got to admit that when I heard about your little Crisco incident this afternoon at three o'clock for the first time, I chuckled a little bit. And I said, you know what? That's something that Dobie Maxwell would do. Then at 3.30, when I heard it for the 475th time from coast to coast, I thought, we have a problem here. There's, you're never going to get over this. And I said, well, you know what? It wasn't meant for anybody else. It's just me and him. He's a bully. My, my father was a biker. That's how you don't back down from bullies. And that's what I did. Well, and so one thing led to another, and that story has just grown. I went up to the ho- the hospital, and I pinched his IV, and I punched the nurse out, and I went, to, <laughs> you know, it's, it's amazing. Like you said, he would send a pizza. There was no pizza involved. I didn't go to the hospital room. I didn't send it to him. That's the story, how it happened. And it's that amazing is- to me how there's people, I, comics I've never even met before, that's the first thing that they will ask. Because they've heard it. It's like the game telephone operator. You know, you, see, you start one run room in school, and, you, and the one sentence becomes something completely convoluted by the end that's how this story has gone oh that is a great story <laughs> totally true. You, that's why i had to start with it. i'm like wait hold on i gotta know you know it's like that go ahead it was just funny to me that comedians I, I talked to, they, they, you know, at the time when it happened, they laughed about it and they thought it was ballsy. But to his face, oh, I can't believe he did that. I'd never do that. Like I say, brown nose party one. That's a really funny line. But it's totally true how it worked out. They didn't. They never, ever admitted it to him. And uh, so that's how it goes. Good. Yep. And I take it uh, he didn't die. and uh, he. Unfortunately, no. But I'm waiting. <laughs> oh, he's still around. Okay. Yeah, I, I've got a... <laughs> I got a, I got coupons when he does. And he knows it's coming too. <laughs> and but, then but you not, can go to his funeral and tell that story. But honestly, no, I'm not going to the funeral. But seriously, guys, <laughs> I, and and you can I know if there's people watching and listening that aren't comedians, this is a very tough gig. We're out there laying our soul out on a oh, daily, yeah. weekly, nightly basis. And this guy was known for being a bully and shorting people fifty dollars. And when a new MCs host, they would <clears throat> excuse me, the bikers would. Uh, duct tape them up to a no parking sign and behind the club and take the picture and humiliate them. When he would pay the comedians, he'd take a, a gun out. And th- this guy was just a maniac. And people say, oh, this poor soul who had a heart. He was a big, fat, greasy, mean biker. And he, and he just he got a little bit of it back and he couldn't take it. So, I mean, yeah. I'm not saying what I did was right. I would never do that again. I'm the first person to tell people that. Mm. I, I'd never do that again. But at the time, that's where I was in my journey. That's where he was on his journey. <laughs> the story's out. Can't put the toothpaste back in the tube. <laughs> and you did and, what many comedians probably wanted to do. Too. Oh, man. I can't. Years later, it's like, oh, boy, I would love to do that. So, it was, I, I, it was not good. I would not do it again. <laughs> yeah, well, it made you famous in the comedy community. Well, I mean. infamous. <laughs> uh-huh. 
Oh, yeah. you've got great Mr. Lucky, though. That is your uh, kind of moniker with the whole. Uh, you know what? And I didn't invent it. Someone just gave it to me. Stuff happens to me that doesn't happen to anybody else. It does. Else. It does. Can, Every time can I, I plug you. my book? Yeah. What? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Because it's called Monkey in the Middle. And it's just a, a total culmination of my life. Now, everybody has a best friend. Boys and girls, Jan and, and Frank, I'm sure you did. But picture in your neighborhood, probably 10, 11, 12 years old. Who is your best friend? You, you know your name? What's the name? Your best uh, friend. Tim, Tim Joyce. Tim Joyce? Mm-hmm. Okay. Jan? Uh, Sherry. Sherry. Okay. Mine happened to be Tim also, but his name became Timbo. And Timbo and I grew up, we did a lot of coming of age things together. He was six months older than me, he still is. And uh, he, he, he was a great ahead of me in school. But we did, we, we got, you know, driver's license together. We worked at the same ice cream place in high school. And he decided he, he worked at a bank. And uh, he, they fired him to put the $6 an hour rent to cops in. And I was in radio and I got fired the day after Thanksgiving in radio. And there's three words that everyone here in the radio business shut the door. Nothing good ever happens. After no, nothing. <laughs> no. So uh, long story longer, I called up my best friend, Timbo, a childhood friend. I said, you know what? Uh, I'm going to put a bullet in my head. We both had horrible lives. We don't have jobs. Christmas is coming. It came from rotten families. Christmas, I want to put a bullet in my head. Let's go someplace warm. He said, where do you want to go? I said, well, how about Las Vegas? We've never been there before. We grew up in Milwaukee. He said, okay, when do you want to leave? So, well, I'll rent a car tomorrow morning at nine o'clock. I'll come pick you up. My cousin is a union carpenter. He's laid off for this time. So it'll be the three of us. We'll split gas three ways. We'll go on a cross-country guy trip. We'll have fun. Okay. Sounds good in theory. Just oh, like just like communism. So while I'm picking up the, uh, the rental car and picking up my cousin, my best friend Timbo robbed the bank that he used to work at. Okay. Oh, yeah. Oops. Yeah. So I had $105,000 of stolen bank money in two satchels in the trunk of my rental car. Headed under to my Vegas. Name. Headed to Vegas. <laughs> so we, we went out there took, and we were out there for two weeks. We had fun. We had a cross-country trip. Well, he didn't tell me he did this until almost a year later. Okay, so he, he drops it on me because I don't know how to tell you. I, I the bank I robbed it. It was all over the TV. And one thing, oh my God! He goes, look, you didn't do it. I did. I felt bad. The FBI is coming to me and asked me what I did the day of the robbery. And I said I was with my best friend Dobie Maxwell in his rental car driving to Vegas. But you're not a suspect or anything. <laughs> and I said, oh my God, this is absolute hell. So uh, one thing led to another, and the cops never showed up. The FBI never showed up. Days became weeks, became months. Now, that car accident I just told you about, I had my car accident and I couldn't walk. My car was uh, like chewed gum and he had the no money down rental properties. He bought the the, the course on TV and he bought a property with the stolen bank money, which I didn't know about. And I was living in one of them. So I was I was totally red handed. Oh, my God. It couldn't appear that I was any more guilty. So he comes over one day. He took me to to therapy to learn how to walk again. And one day I didn't have therapy. He said, hey, let's go out to breakfast. Okay, so I'm in the car. I can barely walk. And we're driving. And he looks at me about five minutes into the trip. He goes, I don't know how to tell you this, but I'm going to rob the bank again. The same bank. And I looked at him and said, you're going to what? He goes, here's what I want you to do. I want you to stand across the street and watch me go in. I got a great plan. They're never going to suspect it's me. And look, you know my mother since we were little kids. If, I, if she finds out, if I get caught, which I don't think I will, but if I do, go to get in a cab, go to my mom, tell her face to face that I robbed banks because she'll have a heart attack and die if the cops go over there and tell her. I said, well, how about we do this? Why don't you not rob the bank at all? And I won't have to worry about it. There's a good solution. He goes, look, 
I'm going to do this whether or not you want me to. He says, this is the only thing that's ever been in my life that was a thrill to me. He said, I grew up with you. I watched you in your life. You were a baseball player. You didn't make it and you never gave up. Then you got into comedy and they treated you like crap and you didn't give up there either. And then you got into radio and you kept getting fired, but you kept going there. He goes, you had all these passions that I never had. And I never had any passion until I robbed that bank the first time. I love planning it. I love doing it. I love thinking about it. It's all I've been thinking about. Twenty. It's the biggest thrill. And he was always a thrill seeker. He had crotch rocket motorcycles. He would go skydiving. He just was a roller coaster addict. He was an adrenaline junkie. And that's kind of how he was, his personality. So I said, is this going to make you happy? He goes, all I'm asking you to do is stand across the street. You got nothing to do with it. If I get caught, they'll never know you were there. Now people say, well, I wouldn't have, I never would have done that. He was my best friend. We had horrible childhoods. You would have, you're good for you. I I wish, I wish you would have taken my place that day. Call a cab, you know, hey. (laughs) Right to the mom. Yeah. So so I'm I'm standing across the street from the bank and uh, I'm thinking, what is, what's his costume? I didn't know his costume. So around the bank comes a man in a gorilla mask, helium balloons, a tuxedo, like a gorilla gram. And he's walking like a gorilla would walk. And I'm thinking either this is the most brilliant plan I've ever seen or the stupidest. There is no in between. This is not down the middle. This is polarizing one way or another. And he gave a kid a balloon and the $6 an hour rent to cops that they fired him for. He worked as security in the bank. And uh, the guy opens up the door and, and he goes in. And I thought, oh, my God. So I stood there for about a minute and a half. And I'm like, this is the worst thing. I used to promote pro wrestling shows at the time. I had a ring and a truck and wrestlers. One of my ring girls was a secretary downtown. I'm standing across the street from the bank. Toby Maxwell, is that you? I read in the paper you had a bad car accident. Uh, so now I'm placed yeah. at the scene. I've got a witness yeah. there. <laughs> I'm about ready to crap straight up in the air now. This is way deeper. I think, okay, friendship has limits. The first one I didn't yeah. know about. Now I know I got to get out of here. So I remember I couldn't walk very well. So I, I limp hobble across the street. I look inside the bank. I don't see any guns flaring. I don't see any gorillas or cops. I'm thinking, well, he's on his own. I'm going home. So I walked another block up and there's a, a city bus stop. So I walked. It was a, hard for me to walk that way. It must have taken me 20 minutes to walk a block. I was that in bad pain. Oh. So I looked back to see if the bus was coming. And I counted five unmarked cop cars that pulled up to the bank. And they all got out, guns drawn, and they ran inside. And I'm thinking, oh, my God, Timbo, my best buddy. They're going to shoot him. They're going to kill him. Well, I have no place to live. What am I going to do? So I got home. <clears throat> it took about an hour for the bus to get me home. It's in the middle of the morning. I didn't want to call them. Thinking, what do I do? They're, are they tracing the phone lines? What do I do? So the, the new news comes out. The, the new news. Lead story on the TV news. A man in a gorilla mask robbed the downtown <laughs> bank today. And they're doing jokes about it. Banana monkey jokes. The, the news. But well, that's a that's a novel approach. I've never seen that before. So part of me is laughing my, uh, my tail off thinking this is great. The other half is like, oh, my God, we're all going to die and go to jail. So I didn't know what to do. About an hour later, I hear a car pull up in the back. And it was a two level. It was a duplex. I'm living in the top part. I look out. It's Timbo. He's in his regular clothes. He's got a big satchel. He comes upstairs. He's all proud of it. Did you watch the noon news today? Uh, yeah, I did. He goes, what'd you think? You're doing your comedy crap for all these years. You got on page 47 by the used, the used tire and lost dog ads. I got on a front page, baby. And the first th- and he's proud of himself. So I'm thinking, okay, I, I got. I said, dude, we're we're out, we're done. When I heal up here, we got to split up for a while. And he said, look, man, you've been struggling your whole life. And he gave me a Manila envelope, and there was there was eight thousand dollars in that envelope. 
And I said, what is this for? He goes, "When you, this came from the sky. It's not marked money. When you heal up, get yourself an apartment in L.A., do your comedy thing. You're never going to get famous in Milwaukee. I said, I wanted that money, believe me, more than anything. I said, I'm not taking that stolen bank money. He goes, nobody knows that but you and me. I said, dude, thank you for the offer. No, thank you. So one thing led to another. I healed up. I moved away. I got a radio job in Reno, Nevada, of all places. And the cops, they called me up and said, yeah, this is the Milwaukee FBI. Do you know a so-and-so? Yes. Well, we think that uh, there was a, a bank robbery and he might have been involved in it. No, I, I don't think he had anything to do with it. So basically, I lied. I was 2,000 miles away I didn't, as my best friend, but I didn't want to talk to him anymore. Well, the Reno cops... As soon as I got off the air one morning, they showed up from Milwaukee. Okay, okay, sit down, asshole. We're going to cut the crap. We think your buddy did the first bank robbery, and, and we think you did the second one, Mr. Comedian. Yeah, you put on a gorilla mask. You made it funny. It was all over the TV and the newspapers. That's exactly what a comedian would do. You danced around like a gorilla. You gave a kid a balloon. Okay, well, we've got your medical records here. It says you had a car accident about a month before. You couldn't walk very well. We've got 15 witnesses that said the gorilla was walking oh. back and forth. He put me in the trick bag, man. One thing led to another. Then he showed me the, uh, they didn't get a picture of him, but they had the artist rendering. Well, you know what? I hate to say Caucasians look pretty much alike. He showed me a picture that looked more like me than my comedy promo shot. did. And they said, <laughs> we're going to put you in jail. And, one, and I basically, they flew me back. I had to testify against my best buddy. I had to wear a wire for the government to get him to confess that he did it. It was a long, ugly, drawn out thing. And, uh, that's the monkey in the middle book. So all this stuff. Now, has that happened to you guys? I've never heard anybody that had stories like that over and over no, and car no. accidents and just in inbred horse. I, I can't believe and, all the things that have happened. No, they didn't true. come after you for not saying, I mean, you didn't get like an accomplice type of. They, they had two the- things. They had, they had a party to a crime was one. And I didn't, I didn't call when I knew about the robbery. And my lawyer said, look, they're just, they want you to testify. You're looking at four and a half years in the penitentiary. They want you to testify. They, they don't, they, they want somebody to rot. They don't care. And he told me innocent people go to jail all the time. He said, they don't care who goes. They just want to close the case and move on. So if you did this, you better tell me. I said, I did not do it. So, and then the FBI guys came back and this, this is months that it took up. I said, look, I want to volunteer for a lie detector test. And my lawyer put, put his hand over my mouth. And I said, no, I know in my heart that I didn't do it. He knows in his heart that he did. And later when it was all over, the FBI guy said, he goes, I have been an FBI guy for 27 years. I never heard anybody volunteer for a lie detector test. And they can't admit it in court. But he said, she said, the guy said, he goes, I knew that you were telling the truth. But man, it was just, and it's, it's in the book. And, and people, they quote the book and said, no, that's all fiction. Are you guys buddies? No, and that's not fiction. It's totally true. Now, as this is going on, I still had to be funny. I still was out there doing road comedy gigs. And there was about a six-week stretch. I was working at clubs. And I would do the show at night and then have to go home and be on the phone with my lawyer from 9 o'clock in the morning till 5 o'clock at night in the comedy condo or the hotel, wherever I was staying at. And I went back to those clubs later. They said, man, we thought you were just this total aloof asshole. You didn't talk to anybody. You left the club. And your shows were fine. But we thought you were just this creep. And I told them what happened. And it's, oh, my God. I don't, I still trying don't know to stay how, out of prison. Yeah, trying to stay out of prison. And that'd be funny. So any hecklers in that era, they got they got sliced up pretty good. I will say that because I wasn't <laughs> in the mood for to take any guff. I'll put it that way. I, I'm ordering my copy of your book right now, Dobia. Oh, <laughs> Monkey nice. in the Middle. That is Monkey that is hilarious hilarious now. So it's funny friend, now. Yeah, yeah. Thank and, God you didn't take the AK. 
And as, as, that's oh, yeah, well, thank God. Yeah, it is totally tempting. But I told <laughs> I wanted it more than anything. And now I got some some interest in Hollywood. Some people have been for years. And as it was happening, I thought, this is a movie for sure. And oh, I know, yeah. you know, the, the movie is always different than the book. I'm sure they're going to get a couple of Wayans brothers to play me and my buddy. And uh, Caitlyn Jenner will be in it and a duck. You know, they'll make it totally different than the story is. But that that's that's how it is. That's the Crisco story, and that's the bank story, and uh, I got more than that, more stories than that. So when you think you got troubles, think of me and cheer up, because <laughs> Mister Lucky is in the muck. Well, that, yeah. you do have good stories. I knew that. Uh, for, yeah. uh, I was going to ask what's your worst what's your worst gig story. Oh, that's nothing compared I mean, to this. B- besides the bank robbery. Yeah. Well, besides, yeah. Well, that's uh, yeah. That, that's a bad. I, I, I started a riot. I started a riot in Cincinnati one night. That was a, a pretty bad story. <laughs> And it's there was a club there. Of course there. you did. Of course, of course you did. You could run for president. Yeah. <laughs> well, <laughs> no, I don't want that gig. I, you could have that one. So, <laughs> so again, what what happened was I was I was with a, a friend who was coming through town in Cincinnati, and I was coming through town. I was even booked at the show. So let's meet at the club. We'll hang out. We'll get some dinner afterwards. Okay, that'll be great. And it happened to be open mic night, and these four young comics from Cleveland had driven all the way down from Cleveland to Cincinnati, and that's a long drive. And they wanted to showcase for the club owner there. And I went to the club owner and I said, "Look, I'm a comic. Those guys came down to audition. I'll gladly host the show and let them go up and have their audition time. Well, I can't pay." you anything i said i don't want any payment i'm here to have dinner with my buddy i'm in the room anyway it's it's no big deal and the comments like you do that yeah just pay it forward when you're a big star let me drive your limo Mm. that's fine i'm happy to help can i answer can i insert something here it's your show do whatever you want yeah go ahead Uh, i gotta tell you i love you but i'm not getting in a car with you going anywhere no (laughs) good good point no that's very smart very smart so uh, the, the first couple of guys go up, they do okay. Well, this table, if you've ever been to Cincinnati, it's, it's right on the Kentucky border. And this club was right on the river across from it. So these Kentucky stereotypical redneck hillbillies come in there and they, they're saying so. And they're heckling one of these open micers. They're brand new comics. And I'm the host. And I got a lot of experience at the time. You know, I said, hey, Slick, you know what? These guys, heckling them is like tipping over a wheelchair saying <laughs> I kicked your ass. Are you really happy? If you want to heckle somebody, heckle me. I can handle it. So one thing led to another and I lit them all other table, five or six of them. So I'm lighting them up, letting, you know, and uh, next thing I know, a pitcher, full pitcher of beer whizzes by my head. Oh my God. About three inches from my head. And I, there's light, bright lights. I couldn't see it coming. So I, one thing I learned from my father is you always go for the malady. You know, if someone's a little overweight, a little bald, a little witchy way eye, you go. So I, I, every one of them, I just lit them up, you know, all of them. And I can, I, I can verbally defend myself. So they came up and they wanted to start something. So I grabbed the mic stand and I said, I'll, I'll cave whatever teeth you got left down your head if you hit me <laughs> one more time. And the crowd at this particular time, I don't know, that there must have been close to a police station because the cops were there within about four minutes of this. And the cops, they looked like I started. And they're all, but he started it. He started it. I'm the comedian trying to tame these monkeys up here. So the, com- the, new, the new guys from Cleveland, they didn't have anything to say. So the club owner, of course, was out of the room. They totally blamed it on me. So I'm banned from Cincinnati, at least for that club. So that's, that was at my worst gig. And then I, uh, I, on the way out, I said, well, hey, good thing you didn't have to pay me for this one. So, <laughs> so that's one of them. But, uh, yeah. Oh, my God, Debbie. What a career. What a career. Yeah. Well, I don't know if it's a career. I, I've had a job in comedy, but not a career. I watch you guys have careers because I've been just trying. I, I needed the, the rotten, those horrible gigs because I had to go and drive all night. You know how that goes because you need the two or $300. Yeah. Right. 
Right. You can't do the hotel thing. You, yeah. you can't do the hotel thing. So a lot of people are having a career. I was in Bemidji, Minnesota with my check engine light on and bald tires, hoping my transmission wouldn't go out in a blizzard. And I've been a, in Bemidji. It's a great place, man. Great I've gone place. there in summer. I've got a summer cabin. A friend of mine has a summer cabin up there. <laughs> but really? I've not, yeah, it's not a place to be in January with bald tires in a blizzard. No. I always got, you know, I was in Austin in August and December in Duluth. That's where my bookings were. <laughs> You know, the uh, the Kwanzaa weekend and when nobody wants to work, that's what I get. Yeah. But that's good. Go ahead. Oh, no, nothing, nothing. I, I got I got nothing even. I, I got stories, <laughs> but nothing that even comes close, Debbie. The, the, you got a famous bank robber, best friend. Is he still in prison? I'm taking it. No, uh, he's out. And I, I started a radio job in Chicago, which is a, the big leagues. It's, it's a station called The Loop. And yeah. the day the day I started on The Loop, that's making the major leagues, man. You made it yeah, in the morning. Yeah, you were in The Loop. I remember that. He got it. He got uh, released from prison the day I started at the loop. And I told that story eventually. And people called up and said, that is the most amazing story I ever heard. Is it? And they all say, are you guys still buddies? No, we're not still buddies. <laughs> what if your you buddy did that to you? Would you be a friend with that? Somebody? No, 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 no. Yeah. So we are, we always ask who's famous comics, but you worked with a famous bank robber. So really, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I work with the famous comics, too. Oh, I got another story. Do we have time? I don't want to go too long. Yeah, I'm good, yeah. Okay, uh, this is a good one, too. Now, the picture, and I I tell anybody this, whatever profession that you're in, what are the chances that you're going to get a one-on-one meeting with a top wage earner in that profession? And what would you say? What would you do? Now, you guys are going to guess this, but let's see. Now, I was uh, just starting out in, in comedy in my t- early 20s, and I was in a Detroit, Michigan, a club called Chaplin's. I don't know if you guys ever worked there. Yeah, funny business uh, book. That, it, yeah. And it was a club where everybody wanted to work, and the headliner was a super nice guy. And like the second or third night, he comes up to me and said, kid, you're funny, man. I really like your stuff. I gotta, I'm going to make a million dollars. I got a project idea. I want to buy you lunch tomorrow and run it past you, and I want you to be on the team. And I'm hearing in my my youthful wah, 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 like Charlie Brown's teacher, wah, wah, buy you lunch. That's what uh, I heard. Those are the only three words. I'm- Foxworthy? Yeah. Yes, it is. Okay. Let, it, let him go. Yeah. Thank, no, you, no. For, Frank. thank you for prematurely Spoiler, joking for throwing out my the punchline, Frank. I knew it, but the, our listeners oh, don't. <laughs> Yes. Well, it's still, a great, it, it's still a great story. There's more it's to a go. true and completely true too. So, so anyway, I'll, I'll shorten it up. He said, uh, so I'm there the next day, buy you lunch. He goes, here's my idea. You might be a redneck if, and then I do jokes. What do you think? And I said in my 20 something wisdom, that is the dumbest idea I've ever heard in my entire life. And his eyes bugged out. Why do you say that? I said, cause that's a bit out of mad magazine that I read when I was nine years old. If you can sell that garbage to the American public, Mary Kay, should buy you the biggest pink Cadillac on the lot because that is you're you're a shuckster, man. That's horrible. He goes, well, I think I'm going to make a million dollars, and I got right in his face. A million dollars, a million dollars. Yeah, yeah. What rock did you crawl out from? And he's a great guy. He goes, all right, man. I want you to be on the team. I said, thank you. I'll do comedy. How about that? Let's do this instead. So uh, when I was out in Reno doing the radio show, he he and Bill Engvall sold out about I think it was seventy five hundred tickets at thirty eight dollars a head. Oh. I don't know. I don't have a calculator. That's a lot of money. So I got backstage and I said, Jeff, do you remember me? He goes, Yeah, you're the guy that told me I'd never make it. And we laughed about it. He laughed a lot harder than I did. I'll tell you that. He goes, You know, you weren't the only person that told me I wasn't going to make it, but you were right in my face. You got right in there. I said, Yeah, I guess I didn't see it. So that's yeah. a true story too. I've retold that story and I got it right. So that is uh, that is uh, <laughs> we make bad choices sometimes. In- 
We take the wrong fork in the road. <laughs> you know, and, and, it's, and Jeff is a wonderful guy. And if, and if you get a, a person that is qualified to hit it big and you're happy for, I'm thrilled that he did. We talked oh, about yeah. this many times later. And he said, you know what? I just, I kind of saw what the public wanted. And that's a skill in and of itself. It, re- it really is. I think there's yeah. a lot of funny comedians we could all think of. Oh, this person's really funny, but the public doesn't know who they are. But they're, you know, comedians like them. That's the last thing. You don't want the back of the room laughing. You want the, the audience who pays money. They're the ones you want to laugh. Yeah. My friend, uh, my friend Mike uh, Stankwitz, is, I think it's Mike that said, I don't think it's Frank. He said, uh, if you hear the band laughing on the cruise ship, you're in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's so true. You're going off, uh-huh. you're getting off of the next port. <laughs> yeah. That's oh, it. Uh, guys, I've got a story about the next port, by the way. I did a Zoom thing with uh, Robert Doc Barham and a couple of his friends. And trading, you know, swapping stories, punching up either, each other's jokes. And somebody goes, have you heard the story about Peter Vogel and the cruise ship? You guys know this? No, that's a, that's no. what I, I heard only parts of. And it's like, I'll let you tell it. And see, hear how it compares. Well, it said he was on the ship and he got ended up, he pissed off so many people. They ended up helicoptering him off the ship. <laughs> yeah, that's okay, what I heard. Yes. Yeah, because normally they just go to the next port. They give you plane tickets. You go home so nobody ever sees you on the ship again. Well, apparently it was a week that the on the Achille Lauro, the guy Klinghoffer, the Jewish gentleman, um, the Palestinians took over the ship, I guess, shot him in right. the head and rolled his wheelchair into the ocean. Right. Mm-hmm. So I'm not sure exactly how the exchange happened, but in my mind, somebody goes, let me buy a drink. And he goes, OK, I'll take a Klinghoffer. And somebody goes, what's a Klinghoffer? It's a shot with a splash. <laughs> Now, from a comic's point of view, that's a wonderful, funny line. Yeah. Because comedians are dark, and it takes a lot to make us the surprise angle. So comedians tend to go dark. Now, I I laugh out loud. I'm sorry. Yeah, Yeah, how can you be so insensitive? Because we're comedians. That's why. Sorry. That's a wonderful joke. Did you hear it? Is that how you heard the story, Adobe? Was that that? Pretty close. I didn't hear the joke that went with it. I just heard they, they helicoptered him off. Yeah. And I said, you know, that's a whole thing, too. Now, I've had some some cruise ship situations where it was uh, – very ugly, but never never got the helicopter treatment. Yeah, I had yeah. a couple of uh, bad ones, but not uh, not. I'm not a big I'm not big on the cruises. Frank is you are. I Dobie? hate it. Did you, you I like cannot it? stand it. It's prison with a buffet. The buffet is <laughs> not that yeah. good. I don't. And they put at Carnival, Walmart on the water. They put you so far down in the ship. <laughs> I mean, you're with other people that uh, don't speak English, and I, I don't have anything against those people. But they're the crew. You, you don't get the passenger cabin. I don't know how it is on the other lines, but yeah. they hate you because you're making a lot of money. I, no matter how polite you are and how much you tip, they look at you like you're here for a week. I'm here for six months. You're scum. Oh yeah, not fun. I. Uh, I did the the what uh, Van Dam. What are those? What line is that? The Van Dam. All America. All America. They're great. They treat you nice. They treat you really well. And you get a nice cabin. And I went to the crew bar once, and it was so smoky I couldn't even find the bar, and I left. I said, All right, I'm not drinking down there anymore. Um, yeah, well, Holland America. Somebody asked, "What's the cruise ship like?" It's kind of an elegant prison. Oh, it yeah, totally it's, is. Yeah, you know, you pull yeah. into port, you can get off, you can walk around, but you got to come back. <laughs> Well, how about if you're on port, you're on, on sea days for a couple of days and you happen to have a, a bad show and, and like, you know, wear the ball cap and glasses and people come up to you and it's like, you know, like you're a social leper. You can't escape anybody. I saw your show last night. You call that comedy. Okay. Thank you. Sarah. <laughs> how long you been doing it? How long yeah. you been doing this? You know, that's mm-hmm. the sign of a, a bad show. <laughs> or they'll say this. Well, I've got a couple of funny stories and they'll tell you the most vile, filthy, yeah. racist, I was disgusting say, joke. And then they always close it with, and you can use that. Yeah. Uh, thanks a lot. Appreciate Cruise it. ships are the place where I get more people coming up with the dirtiest, 
Yeah. Older people with dirty stories. One woman sat down and just started telling me uh, all the men she slept with. She's like 87. Mm-hmm. And a black man are really the best. You know, I'm sitting there, do you really think I want to hear this? <laughs> you know, yeah. Did you see my show last night? Was there yeah. anything about, you know, it's, it's clean. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I had a grandmotherly woman come up. I got a joke for you. I go, okay, grandma, what you got? She goes, what's the difference between a woman and a washing machine? I'm Oh, what? I said, well, you know, you don't have to hug a washing machine after you dump a load in it. <laughs> oh, oh. I'm like, you kiss your grandkids with that mouth? Yeah. Yep. That's funny. Yeah. It's you, might, just a, you might hear that. You open with that the next night. Yeah, yeah. Agnes gave me a joke to share with everybody. Who's Agnes? I'm saying the old lady that told yeah. him that joke. Oh, 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 oh yeah. yeah. Oh. <laughs> Yeah, you know, she's a really sweet little old lady and, you know, doddering. Uh, yeah, yeah, they're, 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 we, uh, we had something. I don't know how it was uh, when you guys did the cruise ship. We had our the uh, security team were were uh, from India. They, they, most of the people, yeah. if not all of them, were from India. And I hate to say it, but you weren't, you weren't supposed to save seats. That was a big deal. You couldn't save seats in the comedy room. Yep. So there were, there were uh, uh, white people that were – had seats and, and African-Americans were trying to save seats and there was a, a race war going on. So Ooh. now the Indians come in and try to, so, and right before I'm going to go on and you know, in the, in the cruise ships, they can't delay the show because there are so many activities going on that yeah. are staggered. They have to start. So, so there's a, there's a three race war going on. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, here's your comedian, Dobie Maxwell. So 18 minutes into my 30 minute set, I'm still going, okay, well, the, uh, the big lady threw a good punch there. I'm doing play by play like Howard Cosell because <laughs> he can't do comedy. And in a 500 seat room, there's 80 of them having a knockdown drag out brawl better than the oh, WWE. So that's, I mean, that's cruise ships. I, I can't stand it. I never, never liked it. Yeah, that's carnival. I uh, got on in San Pedro, and they said, you know, when the last time they were in Puerto Vallarta, there was a group of a dozen, all knew one another. Mm-hmm. And they put them off the ship with their luggage and pointed toward a travel agency and said, find your own way home. Because mm-hmm. they've gotten that kind of trouble on carnival. And do you know how much trouble you have to get into on <laughs> carnival to be put off oh, the yeah. ship? Right. Yep. They still probably got some 50% coupons for their next ride. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's, uh, you know, Holland America was, you know, until I came back, classier. yeah. Until I came back from Cambodia with the you know, the coronavirus, I'll never I'll never work uh, another ship again because I am the quarantine comedian. Well, they were they were a petri dish even before COVID. Oh yeah, yeah. Neuro, yeah. neurovirus. Yeah, hundreds of people. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. True. Yeah, but nobody told the, nobody told the newspaper about it. I did. <laughs> good for you. That's good. That's that's your Crisco story. How's how's uh, how's uh, COVID been going for you, Dobie? You working and you're uh, doing some Zoom stuff and no, I can't that? stand the Zoom thing. It's I don't I don't like it. I don't want to be on Zoom. I mean, to talk to you guys is fun doing something like this, but it, to me, comedy is a live experience. Maybe I'm old school. I am old school. I, I, I took a day job. I was telling Frank before he went on. I took a day job just because I wanted to get off the cruise ships, and it's at a convenience store. I- so it's a great. I mean, a very yeah. busy community store. The chain is a great company to work for. They have 700 stores. They made a $265 million profit last year. We have 40% profit sharing. I got a profit sharing check at the end of the year that had a comma in it. When is the last time nice. a comedy booker or a cruise ship sent either one of you a profit sharing check? I never got one before. I've got, I got dental. I've got vision. I've got partial health insurance so I can get half a cancerous tumor removed that, you know, free. No, but I'm saying it's, 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 I've never had a, a situation like that where I've had stability and I can't believe a comedian is using the word stability. So at this time <laughs> in my life, 
I, it's not what I want to do for the rest of my life, but it's getting me by and just taking a little breather. And I, I lost all my, I don't want to go out anymore. I just don't want to be on the road. I just, I used to say, Oh my God, I'm going to Omaha. Yeah. Now, Oh God, I got to go to Omaha. It's completely <laughs> yeah. different. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I admire you W back when you were going to Omaha and liking it. And I'm thinking, how does, how in the world does he, you know, you guys, I like Omaha actually. I, I do too. Really? They oh, got a yeah. great airport and they've got a great new downtown. And I'm, I'm, I'm a, that's one of the, Four or five Midwest cities I could live in. Great stakes. Great stakes if you eat right Great stakes. Great, great airport. A great uh, parks right there at the airport, a National Park Service, and there's hiking. And it's a, it's a, it's a cool town. So yeah, don't knock you, Omaha. But, but no, no, I'm not knocking Omaha. I'm just saying I'm not going to play a club in Omaha. I played, I played Mutual of Omaha in that building <laughs> for, you know, big corporate money. I'm not, uh, Right. Yeah, you know, when you start out in the comedy, you're excited. I was <clears> excited to get on the road because I'd had a day job for 15 years, and and so it was exciting. New, I'd go check out everything. The, but the the 15th time you're in a city, unless they revamp the downtown like Omaha did, you're, it's sure. you know you get to a point where you're just even even the corporate stuff. You're kind of like, oh, I got, I'm in, I'm tired, I'm gonna go to bed early and get up and do the gig and go. You know, there's not that. Um, I want to look around. I, I try, but um, it's harder and harder. So, me? yes. After I came back from Cambodia, everybody thought I was dragging a virus. Just type my name, Frank King, Comedian Quarantine, in your Google search. You'll find it. All right. Uh, I was on the cover of The Independent, The Daily, in uh, London, uh, New York Post, Lester Holt. Uh, everybody thought I came back dragging the virus. Sure. And so I, I get back to my, my town, and my phone number's, you know, public on my website. A guy calls me up. Mm-hmm. He goes, we're going to make sure you never work another comedy club as long as you live. And I said, can I get that in writing? <laughs> 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 Frank, Frank, you were texting me. I'm getting these texts from Frank as he's getting out of the hotel and jumping on some kind of a bicycle to get to the airport. It was hilarious. Yeah. I'm like, where are you running from? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The, and and I time. thought it was a lark. We weren't, we weren't quarantined. There were no, you know, the police, yeah. I mean, there were security, but they didn't want you to leave because Holland America wanted to keep track of everybody. My contract's up. The CDC guy there, the local American CDC guy said, go, go. So I made a big deal of jumping, you know, uh, going past the security guard, jumping a little three-wheel, talk, talk, they call it, a little cab. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm videoing, I'm going, you know, it's a lark. It's just yeah. funny. And then, man, every article, comedian jumps quarantine, come back to the U.S. carrying the coronavirus. Hmm. So, yeah, it was like typhoid Mary for two weeks. So you're gonna go, if you're going to get kicked off of working cruise ships, that's the way to do it. You get some publicity <laughs> out of it. They go out with Lester too. Holt. Yeah, every now and yeah. then I'll be doing a podcast, you know, guest spot. And somebody go, hold on, Frank King, comedian. Are you that guy? <laughs> yeah, I'm that yeah. guy. See, that's, that's way bigger than the Crisco story. So you made mag- major news on it. I have much respect. I like your story. Much <laughs> oh, man. Than mine. Oh, it rocked the Holland America building all the way up to the CEO's office. Did, uh, did they call you? I mean, what, what are you going to do? Well, my, my agent called and said, look, here's the problem is the they're blaming Holland America for letting you slip out of the hotel purportedly that was quarantined, which we weren't. Mm-hmm. But they're giving Holland America ration because and they gave the CDC in Seattle, the airport a ration because I went back to see if I couldn't get some paperwork saying I'm healthy. Sure. I knock on, I found the office. It's hard to find. I knocked on the door. She opens the door. I go, I'm she goes, I know exactly. who you are. <laughs> Your reputation we have been put yeah, because they got. A ration for letting me re-enter the country. Sure. So yeah. Oh, here's my favorite story about that. They said, "Look, Frank, here's the deal. You know, you weren't in China. You haven't any symptoms. And there was one woman they thought had it, and they stopped her in Kuala Lumpur because she spiked a fever. Mm -hmm. And so 
they said, you know, there was one woman on the ship they think might have had it. We don't think she's got it. But here's the deal. Unless you were within six feet of that woman. No. Yeah. Six feet of that one for 15 minutes. You don't have it. And I said to the CDC guy, so let me get this straight. If I wasn't doing the old lady, then I'm fine. And they're on the floor. <laughs> you guys, I, and I, I got no stories like that. Nothing. I got no famous, no famous friend. My my best friend growing up is the is her dog is more famous than all of us together because he can sit fit six tennis balls in his mouth. He's that me. He's that gold retriever. That's the, you know, the, that's my the, the dog. The cat next door to me got famous because. Because uh, it fought off three coyotes and got a YouTube video that shot. Oh, yeah, there. I saw that. Yeah, that's a cat next door. And the, the, my best friend's dog can fit six tennis balls in his mouth. Just made Guinness. That's it. Yeah, and that's the, it. Cat, the cat is headlining 15 funny bones. Yeah. Think, yeah. As soon as I think so. Yeah, yeah. So, Jan, you're doing a fundraiser on a rooftop for uh, to build a park for the kids. Was that what it was? It's a fundraiser for a children's hospital or something? Um, I had a joke about it. About yeah, the, 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 oh yeah, about a fundraiser for yeah the, the oh god what was the joke? <laughs> they well, said I, they're built they're building their uh um their a rooftop fundraiser for kids. I'm, I'm like I don't like kids. I can't remember the whole joke. Is geez, I haven't yeah, seen I think that. something about a, uh, like a playground or they're putting yeah uh, yeah they're going to put like a um some kind of kids area on the top of the building. Oh yeah, they said they were playground. Massachusetts' largest trauma center. No duh. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you said playground on the roof. Okay, here's some words you want to avoid. Go long. <laughs> <laughs> funny. Uh, Isn't it funny that comics remember? You know, other bits. Yeah, I had, uh, not just comics. I worked on the Hall of America with a guy who was a lecturer. And he came up because, Frank, I saw your show. You really disappointed me. I go, why? Because you didn't tell a story about your wife. And I go, oh, man, I forgot all about that. Because I, I, I was in my cabin one morning. I wrote a joke. It wasn't good for me, but I knew Steve Kelly would buy it. So I, I emailed it to Steve Kelly. Uh, you know, a couple minutes later, I got an email back. Man, that's a great joke. I gave you $100 for it. So I called my wife and got to the port. And I said, honey, you're not going to believe this. This morning, I made $100 lying flat on my back in bed. There's a long pause. And she goes, what a coincidence. <laughs> <laughs> and I've been doing it ever since. But I had forgotten, you know, it's funny how other people, you know, what they remember. Well, t- to me, it's funny. They come up to you and they- they'll tell you a joke that you did, you know, years ago. Yeah. And you cringe and wince and like, oh, my God, I'm way better than that. And they're like, no, no, I like that joke. I'm glad. So they're, they're happy. With, they're, they're paying you a compliment when in reality you take it as they're stabbing you in the heart. Oh, yeah. Right. Some old horrible joke you used to do. But have you ever worked with a comic who, like, I, I hate listening to my set. I, I No offense, guys, but I don't want to listen to any of your, your, I'm done, you know, tired, done. <laughs> and I uh, heard it all. And I heard it. And But you, you travel with the comics who want to listen to their set the next, you know, on the road or something. It's like, uh, run it past you and do this. And it's like, no, I, I heard your set last night. I don't want to. You don't have to put a tape in the car so we can listen to it in the car. No. <laughs> how about how about when they, they run stuff by they're having a conversation and then they're doing that oh. on stage that night? They're they're you know ghost testing it on you. Right. Don't right. ever do that. Yeah, right, right. Yeah. Yeah. My <laughs> wife actually tumbled that early. She goes, Look, if you if it's a joke, I want to know up front it's a joke. I don't want you to, you know, run it by me, you know, surreptitiously. So I have to go, okay, this is a joke. Because well, you know so, something you should yeah. go, that, really that happened. No, I'm, it's a joke. Oh, oh. Well, Dobie, your your new job's got to be uh, full of material. 
Well, it's I'm working thing, at convenience. It's got to be full. You know, it's, it's the same goofs every day, and it's it's a uh, it's a one on one audience with hundreds of people every day. Half of them are the same, and now word has got out that I'm a comic, so they they want to get in my line, and it's a and a lot of them are very nice. A lot of them are not nice. It's it's a job, so you you try to be as nice as friendly as you can, but man, it, it's. But you got to be collecting material. I mean, there's got to be some characters coming through. There. I've had enough material. I need sanity. I need rest. <laughs> I need stability. That's what I need. I got plenty of material. Uh, so, I don't know. I did, I, go ahead. I did a corporate show for Seven Eleven, and um, mm-hmm. there's some, they have a training program. Sure, <laughs> you know, work overnights. And I go, so what's the what's the training consist of? I cannot. <laughs> o- I cannot open the safe. Hey, <laughs> ow, I'll see what I can do. <laughs> No, I had a good line with the uh, with a group years ago in Iowa. It was winter, it was a corporate show. A uh, day or two before the event, they told me that they had told everybody it was a Christmas party. They told everybody in the company they weren't getting raises. That's a good time to tell them, right? Right for the oh, party. Man. So I show up and oh god, I mean it was the worst energy. People were mad, just walking around, you know, ready to kill the boss. I go on, you know, five minutes in, you're still like up there going, you know, is this thing on? I mean. <laughs> Yeah, no right. one wanted me up there. Mm-hmm. So I stopped and I looked around. I said, you know, I understand you've had a pretty mild winter here in Iowa. In fact, the only thing frozen around here are salaries. And place went. I thought the roof was coming down. I don't Beautiful. know if folks liked it or not, but man, they and I could do no wrong after that. Saved that a girl. I wanted Who to say you? to the guy, look, I saved your show. You might not like my joke, <laughs> but I saved yeah. your whole freaking event right here. You know, yeah. good for you, Jen. Uh, five stars. That's a great adjustment. Good. He should have tipped you, but probably did not. No, I don't think he was happy about it. He didn't talk to me. You get, Frank and I joked that you can tell when someone didn't like your act, but they don't talk to you afterwards. <laughs> yeah, the, the, event, to the, the event planner, you can't find them after the show. That's yeah. not a good sign. Yeah. It's yeah. not a good sign. It, it went well. So, but you guys uh, know yeah. who Will Durst is? Yes, oh, yeah. Durst tells somebody. Uh, I don't know him, but I know of him. Worked in Lexington, Kentucky with him on uh, some, you know, um, what's the guy's name? Uh, Sobel gig. Tom Sobel, yeah. Well, uh, Durst was from Milwaukee, but he, he moved to San Francisco before I started. But he's a great guy. He does uh, political comedy, is yeah. what he's known for. And uh, he, he told it's uh, he was the most famous person I knew at the time, personally, that got on David Letterman. And he had a horrible set. I mean, absolutely brutal. Really? He tanked it. And I asked him about it later. And he said, well, they were telling me, the the booker said, you know, uh, we don't want you to do your political humor until like the third or fourth appearance on the show. And we want you to do this bit this time. So he said, in, in their mind, they're thinking, I'm going to come back three or four times. He goes, I get out in front of that crowd. I, I was I played cowboy. I saw that. I went right to my political stuff because I knew I'd kill. I ate it so badly so yeah but I, I went out there they had a they had a fruit you know uh basket before that was gone from my dressing room <laughs> my name was taken off the door oh they God. said i had to see myself out there was nobody let the, so i said oh. a couple of years later i saw this the uh, talent coordinator at a party in la and i walked up to him and said hey any chance of me getting on the show again and the quote from the guy was what millennium are we talking about <laughs> 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 Oh, so I, I, I know what you mean about that. Say, so, you know, when you, you tell something that nobody likes and you walk out there, why would you? And he admits it's a mistake. And Durst is a wonderful guy, but it's like we as comedians, it's I, I don't think the average person realizes or cares just how hard it is and just how many things can go so wrong. Oh, yeah. right. And but also when you have someone have a club owner or someone trying to tell you what jokes to do. And oh. first of all, in comedy clubs, that's about the only thing you have control over is what you say on stage. And you're yes. not going to tell us. 
what you know what we're going to say on stage and so you know yeah. you, they, if they, unless you know the club is like clean like Erie JRs in Erie Pennsylvania they only book clean comics they said you gotta work clean so you can't go so you know that going in but otherwise you you know yes Jan but there was a guy one time who said to you you ain't got none of them thinking jokes oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> one letter gig in Alabama. I walk into the, the bar. I never did well in bar gigs. I just, I just, I just didn't and connect with people. And uh, I walked in this one when people were drinking and stuff, I got in at like noon just to check out the room. People are you know drinking already waiting for the show to begin. And a club, the bar owner walks up to me, big guy looking, looks at me, looks at the group. He's, he knows it's not going to work. And he just looked at me and said, you ain't got any of them thinking jokes. Do you? <laughs> And I said, yeah, I do. <laughs> it yeah, was a long you... night. <laughs> but, you know, yeah. if you don't get on stage, if you don't do the gig or you don't stay your 30 or 45 minutes, you don't get paid. So I don't care if they were booing me. I didn't stay. I'm like, I'm standing on this stage. I need that money. You know? Well, and, and when you yeah. told me the story the first time, Jan, you said, uh, said to him, uh, you know, it's 30 minutes before the show. I think I'm going to have to, you know, go, go with, with it. This. Yeah. And then you tagged it. First time you told me with, you know, the sad part is he was right. <laughs> <laughs> they did not want thinking jokes. No. no. Can I, can I, I, I want to just real quickly here while we're still on, I really appreciate you having me, number one. And number two, I want to compliment both of you at being unbelievable marketers. You're very effective. You handle the business side of comedy, either one of you, better than 99.9% of comics. And only in the last few years have I learned uh, to do it a little bit better myself. But I think most comedians, we think about the show and we let the business go. And both of you are masters at it. And I want to point that out with Uh, respect and a compliment. Thank you. You had a post in your Facebook group today. Dolby has a great Facebook group, The Maxwell Method. And uh, you posted today, I think. Uh, Was it today? I saw a post or was reading one about the business of comedy. Um, yeah, and I, I put that in all the time. I think most comedians getting in there, you just think, well, it's all going to work out and some magic limo is going to pull up and some short guy with a cigar. Yay, you, McGinnis, <laughs> King, get in. We're going to Hollywood and there'll be never any tax problems or jealous people. And it's all, and it's like, what, what, what are we smoking to think that? But it kind of, we all assume that's going to happen, but you guys handle it much like a business that it is. So kudos. Well, you're very, very nice. And But I think also what comics get in, not thinking of what their, what the end game is, they think, they think, kind of in broad terms of maybe I want to be famous, but really do you want to be famous? Cause if you do, there's a different path than if you just want to make a living versus yeah. a different path than if you want to do whatever it is you want to do. I got in not thinking I want to be famous. I got in thinking I want to make a living that I can live a normal life. I'm the only comedian I know who doesn't like working nights and weekends. So no. <laughs> I had to find something else and it was corporate. Um, so, you know, but yeah. if comics just, and there are people to get discovered, but it's a, such a small percentage that, there's so well. That's why we started this podcast. There's so many funny, funny. Doby, you're one of the funniest guys out there. Oh yeah. You're Thank not this. You. You're not famous. You're famous. I mean, you're famous among comics. You're not a yeah. household name yet. No. But there's so many comics that we want to showcase that to say, look, the the working comics and just the people you see on stage are not are on TV rather are not necessarily the the funny ones. They're mm. the ones that had a path to it. Uh, you know, when sometimes the the people that that book the TV shows, you know 
our managers, they manage comics. So, you know, if you're not in with their group, you're not doing it. You know, you're not. It's a, it's a complete show. plan in and, in and of itself to be famous. And the business part yeah. is different than the, than the show part. And look at a guy like Foxworthy. He had a plan. He was from corporate America. Very good. I, I don't begrudge him. In fact, I admire him. I admire you guys for doing what you're doing. And I think most that's why I try to have a group for comics coming up their ranks. That's never going to go away. I mean, Zoom shows to a degree are here to stay. And Lenny Bruce talked about, he said, I want 100,000 people that like what I do. The rest of the world can do whatever it does and that was in probably 1958 when he mm-hmm. said that i think the same thing it's like you know if you have a, i don't know what the number is 10,000 50,000 but if you have those people and you, and you can make a real living and be uh, you know the, the king or queen of your own domain without having to be world famous because no one's going to get that way again there's a comedian named bob marley uh not the singer but the bob marley who's a god in maine and he okay. uh, he is no a maine small state but he's he was famous and made a huge living and he lived out here in LA. I don't know where he is now. I haven't seen him in 10 years, but mm-hmm. he used to fly back there, make his money, you know, do six shows. He just keep piling on shows on the weekend, do six shows a day or whatever, make his money, come back to LA, hang out, you know, do commercials and whatnot. And wow. TV. So, but it, you know, you don't have to be famous through the whole U S you got to figure out what your niche is, what it is you want to do and uh, you know, work that. So true. It's it's like the, the town's got a little restaurant. Sometimes it's a chain in a certain area, and they're just only in that area, and they they do fine. But they're not. Yeah. Na- Why are they nationwide? Well, it's hard to expand. It's hard. You want to be a worldwide famous? I don't. I just want to just sleep in my own bed at night and different yeah. different goals as you get older. I, I want to sleep in a better bed, not some of the <laughs> not yeah. some of the hotels yeah. we when you start out. My idea of success is living in a better car. <laughs> 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 and we all close on that because I got yeah, Adobe Maxwell. Thank you so much. Do you have a website you or anything, Adobe? Well, first, uh, funny, funnieryou.com, F U N N I E R U.com. I tried to put a course together for people that want to be funnier. It's money back guarantee, it's not expensive. I think people they want to be a comedian, an astronaut, a ball player. So I kind of let them dip their toe in the water. So that would be great. Thanks for having me so much. Really hey, Adobe Maxwell. Thank you so much, man. Take See care. Ya. Thanks, Adobe. See ya. Thanks for listening to Over 50 and Effin' Funny with comedians Jan McGinnis and Frank King. If you enjoyed the podcast, please rate, review, and subscribe. And tell your friends. If you did not enjoy the podcast, we hope you have no friends.